0: Thank you for listening to this message, brought to you by the audio ministry of Lighthouse Baptist Church in Schenectady, New York. For more great content, please visit us at lighthousebaptist.org. Now let's open our hearts and minds to the Word of God. I need to, I forgot to tell you, Brother Hartman, our Minister to Israel, is going to be here this afternoon at five. All right, and so I, I chose to preach a message about Israel this morning, but I want to tell you that it can't be televised. All right, he's going to be talking about sensitive uh, areas that can't be go across the internet. So the only way you're going to be able to hear him is you have to come back at five o'clock in order to hear him. Okay, so I'm trying to encourage y'all to come back. I think it would encourage him if we were all here. Um, yeah, and it is our missions month. We started. We're starting. I'm the I'm the keynote speaker today. Right, I'm the one that starts it all off. I was, uh, but that's okay. I mean, I love talking about Israel, so I thought I'd go there. I have a whole. I went to Israel in January for ten days, and I have a whole uh, over about 150 pictures. I was going to try to show this morning, but we're having a little bit of trouble just getting it all to download so that we can do that. Just so you can get a a little bit of feel of what the uh, the terrain is like over there. What spiritually they're like you know the things that are happening in israel right now is changing a lot right now with netanyahu it's um there's things that he's uh, getting criticized for because he's changing some of the constitutional things um but I, I so far haven't seen anything that's bad uh that he's trying to do um but i but i try to keep on uh, in contact with everything I was, I was really privileged and honored to talk to brother Harman uh, when I came back from my friend who I, I really need to have you keep praying for him, um, he is, he's got an infection in his lungs right now. he's still on that ventilator. Uh, he's, he's a young man and he's got a lot He's done a lot for the Lord, and he's still got a lot that God could use him if we can just, if he can just let him live. Uh, so that's out in Rochester. Um, and I made an impromptu uh, rocket trip out there uh, when he had his heart attack. Uh, um, he loves Israel too. And on the way back, I was able to talk to, I had to pull off in a parking area and I talked for about a half hour with Brother Hartman. He's really excited about coming up here and it was a real blessing to talk to him. And uh, so I I would encourage you to try to get back here. So 1 Corinthians, or 1 Chronicles, sorry, 1 Chronicles 17. I'm gonna just jump uh, to two different passages and uh, if you can get to Isaiah 46 also. Uh, The title of this message is Israel, my glory, part one. At some point, I'll give to you part two because uh, I really it really needs to have it needs to be a two-part message. Um, I'm, how many are familiar with Israel? Anybody been here, been there besides me and the sanctuary? Oh, my wife, yeah, she made the trip also. Uh, I made, uh, she's only made it one time though. No, I've been there twice, so 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 I'm one up on her. <laughs> uh, but you can go on many different websites and find many ministries about Israel. And you'll find a little bit about what's going on over there. You'll see what it's like uh, to, to the walk or, uh, among Israeli people. Uh, and it is interesting. It is a boiling pot. It certainly is. Um, I, we rounded the corner and going into the Palestinian uh, area, uh, which um, you have to be very careful when you go into that area. And Israeli soldiers, as I rounded the corner, I was in the bus, and I was <laughs> looking out the window, I look up, and there's a uh, AR-16 or whatever, 15 or whatever it is they use over there, I'm not even sure, they pointed right at me. As I'm rounding the corner, it's not at me, it's at the bus, you know, it's just everybody that makes that corner. They, they're ready to fire instantly if there's, uh, you know, there's uh, going to be something of vile uh, evilness going on. So it is disheartening sometimes when you see that. Only one other time I've had a gun pointed at me and uh, that was over in the Philippines and I've, I've talked to you about that before. And, and it kind of gets like a, I turned to the, bus, uh, to the driver over there, I was up in the jungle and I turned to him, I said, are we all going to die today? I'd just like to know so I can try to, get a, try to get some information back to my wife, you know. Anyways, First Chronicles 17, 20 through 24 says this, O Lord, there is none like thee, neither is there any God beside thee according to all that we have heard with our ears and what one nation, there it is what one nation in the earth is like thy people Israel well I can think of one the only one I know of is America right now it's the only one I know of whom God sent to redeem to be his own people to make thee a name of greatness and terribleness by driving out nations from before thy people whom thou hast redeemed out of Egypt. For thy people, Israel, didst thou make thine own people, that's key right there, forever, and thou, Lord, becamest their God. Therefore now, Lord, let the thing that thou hast spoken concerning thy servant and concerning this house be established forever, and do as thou hast said, let it even be established, that thy name may be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is the God of Israel, even a God to Israel. And let the house of David, thy servant, uh, be established before thee. Now if you'll just turn over to Isaiah 46 for a minute. This is where we get the term Israel my glory. And we'll read from 9 to the end of the chapter, right? Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man that executeth my counsel from a far country, yea, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass, I have purposed it, I will also do it. So hearken unto me, ye stout-hearted, that are far from righteousness. I bring near my righteousness, and it shall not be far off, and my salvation shall not tarry, and I will place salvation, where everybody? In Zion, In Zion for what everybody? Israel. Israel, my glory, amen. Father, please bless this message, I pray in Jesus' name, you are our one and only King and Lord and God. And Lord, may we look to you with reverence today, understanding how important this nation is to you, how important we are to you uh, in this nation that we live in in America. And I pray this message will just help us understand Satan's trying to tear down three basic things in, this er- in, uh, in the whole world. And, uh, and we, sh- we should be a part of them all. Lord, to help them stand. So we'll just thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Adolf Hitler killed six million Jews. I don't know if you can, numbers are hard for you to fathom, but six million people is a lot of people. All right? It's like, it's like killing all of New York City. Thinking he could eradicate the Jewish people of, off the face of the earth and all it did was, and as far as I can see, all it did was infuriate their God and then empower right, uh, the, na- the nation of Israel. In fact, I'm firmly convinced that the Holocaust was what was the driving factor responsible for the United Nations um, making or moving towards establishing Israel as a nation in 1948. I really believe it was. Um, Uh, because they needed to have that push and throughout history Satan has tried to destroy the Jewish people and has failed every single time all right we know about Haman everybody knows about Haman right Uh, like Hitler he sent out a decree to kill all the Jews and God in his sovereign mercy raised up a beautiful young Jewish girl uh, named Esther uh, to sit in the courts of the king for such a time as this and to and to save and redeem this nation from their destruction and they, uh, they, celebrate, they celebrate it every year over there. So the plan of God for the redemption of the world has always been tied somehow to Israel. Does everybody understand that? It's always been, and the Jewish people. So my personal burden is for Israel and the Middle East. Uh, in a missionary conference like we're doing now, you really should have a burden for some part of the world, private burden for some part. We have a burden for all the world, Yes. Um, Like I have, uh, probably most of my friends are in the Philippines, you know, or are out of Philippines, you know, to different countries that I I talk to one every single day. Uh, But my burden, my heart's burden is for Israel and is for the Jewish people and for the surrounding areas of that Middle East. In fact, when I was in Israel, three times I had an Orthodox Jew come up to me and say, are you a Jew? And I said, I'm not. First time he said, I'm not. And then the next person came and they make their way over. I don't know why they thought. Maybe it was my Irish hat I was wearing. And then the last one says, he comes over running across the airport. And he comes over, he goes, are you a Jew? And I said, no, but I'm beginning to wish I was. (laughs) And he he started laughing and uh, gave me a hug and off he went. But... The plan of God for the redemption of the world has always been tied to Israel and the Jewish people. So my personal burden is for that area. And to destroy Israel, in essence, is to, is to destroy Israel's God. Mm-hmm. So this, and that's the same God we serve, the same God that sent Jesus Christ. So anti-Semitism is, is part of Satan's plan to annihilate God's covenant people and to remove their God from all people. That's what it's all about. And it's still going on today. It's still very strong today. So Israel is the glory of God. And anyone who uh, messes with Israel, God is saying, you're going to have to deal with me. You're going to have to deal with me. And he has made Israel's personal responsibility in all regards, by the way. In other words, you know how a parent will say, uh, I'll do my my own children's punishment. (laughs) You keep your hands off them. I'll take care of it. God says the same thing about Israel. I'll do the punishing of my people, right? Uh, He says, I'll be her protection. How many of you have heard of the Iron Dome in Israel, right? There's not a country in the world that's more protected than that country through the Iron Dome. And I'm not even sure how it all works. In fact, they don't even let you look at those places when you drive around. Uh, We drove by one of the military satellite things and the uh, the Jewish man, he's a, he a military man. He was, he was leading the, the bus at that day. And he says, I can't tell you that right there is part of the, <laughs> he said, I can't tell you that right there is part of the Iron Dome. Okay, okay, I didn't tell you, you know that, right? That I didn't tell you that? And then we just went on through, uh, so it was pretty interesting. But there are, um, so he's their protection, their prosperity, their, he says that he'll preserve them and he'll give them peace. And he wants you to have that same desire for Israel. So there are three things Satan, and this is what I'm going to talk about. And we'll try to get through them quickly so we can get right to the Lord's uh, cup here this morning. But there are three things Satan has been desperately trying to eliminate from this world. And it will, he will never stop trying, but he'll never succeed at it. I don't know if you understand it, in the Bible, there's three things that he is desperately trying to eliminate and I think you can surmise just from what I'm saying what those three things are, but that's going to be the message today. They all revolve around and relate to Israel, and they all give irrefutable evidence to the one and only God that Israel serves and the Messiah and Savior that we follow also. Does that all make sense so far? Let me give you these three things because these are very important. You can write them down and you can pray. Uh, this way too, because I pray every day for the peace of Israel. Amen. Commanded to do that uh, in the Psalms, and so I do it. So I, I even have a mezuzah around my neck that I wear all the time. Um, every once in a while, when I'm making foreign trips, uh, I have made, except for January, I have made uh, several. They'll, they'll, they'll register on the thing they scan and they'll look at it, and usually they just pass it by, but it's just a replica of mezuzah, which held the book of the law. Right? And it's just on my chest. And the only reason it's there is that every time I take a shower, right? now don't think about me in the shower, it'll make you sick, but every time I take a shower, I look down at my chest, right? and I see that mezuzah and I pray. It just reminds me to pray for them every single day. Every single day. So here they are. The three things that Satan is trying to eliminate, the one is the inalienable nation of Israel. Now look up here. God loves them. Way beyond what you could possibly imagine, love being. The Jew's survival in this world, that is, in this world and with an evil one that's trying to eliminate them, is the greatest evidence that there is a God, that he's the real God, the one and only God, and the one God you're going to have to reckon with just the fact that they survive, but more importantly he is the only one that anyone can uh, trust uh, they know it uh, we know it uh, but in- inalienable means this unable to be taken away or given away by the possessor so what he is our God he is the possessor of Israel Israel's is God's covenant people Now let me show you uh, one illustration of that. You should have been in Isaiah. If you just turn back a couple pages to Isaiah 43. And and just listen to this. Isaiah is my favorite Old Testament book. Uh, Well, well, Song of Solomon I think is now at this time of my age of life. But Isaiah has always been a very, very uh, important book to me. In Isaiah 43, But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. And he said, Thou art mine. And when thou passest through the waters, I'll be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. That's a verse we often use. Often use. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Saba for thee. And since thou wast precious in my sight, thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee. Therefore I'll give men for thee, and people for thy life. So fear not, for I am with thee. I will bring thy seed from the east, and gather thee from the west. And I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, keep not back, bring my sons from, afar, from far, and my daughters from the ends of the earth, right, and then I'll close with this, for everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory, I have formed the yea, I have made him, uh, listen to me, it's very important some of the things we hear here in these verses, one, look at verse one, God says, thou art, art mine, right, in a in a, it is a statement of personal possession and of, and of divine affection. You're mine. You know, it's picking on my wife when she got home and she said, well, I, I can go. just have, No, no, you're staying right here today with me because you're mine. <laughs> you know, you're not going anywhere today because she just got back to, no, you're mine and you're staying right here. You know, thou art mine. So he made them and he possesses them and no one is able to deny him of these inalienable rights to them. So if you notice, they were created for his glory, and you find that in verse 1 and verse 7. Right? Why was Israel created? Just to prove to the world there's, there's a God. And just to prove to the world that there was one God who would be magnified in all the earth, and one day will be magnified in all the earth, and, and there's none else. Verse 7 says they were created for his glory. They were, and secondly, they are called by his name. Right? When naming something uh, that you're the creator of, that name itself is usually called an ep- epinem. An epinem. right? A person after whom a discovery, invention, or a place is named. And Israel was God's epinem. It was, he predestined them. He created them on purpose. For a purpose. Right? They were chosen by preference. You know? By preference, uh, they are a chosen generation. They didn't choose him; he personally chose them. First Peter 2:9. Uh, this is where the pre- this is what predest- a lot of these predestination book- verses are talking about. This is what it's talking about. It's not talking about you don't have any will in anything. They are chosen a chosen generation. They didn't choose him. First Peter 2:9 says, "But you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people." that ye you should, you, you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. In fact, Jesus said in John 15, verse 16, he said this, you have not chosen me, right? But I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain and that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it unto you. He chose them as, his, as the people of his possession. He says to them, thou art mine, you're mine. Right? He made him a covenant with them. He chose them as the people of his promises. In Genesis twelve two 2-3, And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee, I will curse them that curses thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. What a, wow. <laughs> he has chosen them as the people to fulfill his plan. Isaiah 42, 6 says, I, the Lord, have Call thee in righteousness and will hold thine hand and will keep thee and give thee for a covenant of the people and for the light of the Gentiles. By the way, I know uh, my, my, son, uh, my son-in-law yesterday and my grandson were talking about I, I go awfully fast with scriptures. I'm sorry about that, but that's just the way I am. So you may not be able to get, catch up with me today with all of this. If not, I'll give you a, somehow I'll give you a copy of these verses. But they were covered by him. If you look in verse two, no nation on earth is so, no nation on earth is so small, yet so hated. And yet they, they're still here. That's right. They're still here. He was, he has protected them, preserved them through centuries of attempts to destroy them. Verse uh, again in verse seven, he created them for his glory. So if they could be annihilated, that would be the purpose of saying, if they could be annihilated, God's word would be repudiated. In other words, if you can't trust God to cover Israel, you can not only not trust his word, you can't trust God himself. So God knows our president hasn't got his act together concerning Israel. We know that. He hasn't got it in his plans to cover them in any way. Uh, But I wonder how many of us as Christians have it in our plans, right, to cover them with our prayers and our financial support and our service and our provisions. I just wonder how many of us do. I challenge you to pray every day for the peace of Israel. And if their survival was only contingent upon your prayers and your support, would they survive? I don't think so. I'm not sure they would still be here, but God specifically tells us to pray for them and their peace and their protection and their uh, preservation and their prosperity. He specifically tells us in the Bible to do that. So Psalm 122, 6 and 7 says, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem, that they shall prosper that love thee. Peace be within thy walls and prosperity within thy places. If I haven't prayed that prayer a thousand times, I haven't prayed it once. I believe much of the prosperity and peace in America we enjoy is to do with the many generations of Americans who has kept faithful to that prayer. They've supported Israel. It's, a cha- it's changing right now and it scares me half to death. Um, especially America's view of Israel. Uh, the worst mistake America could ever make is to turn its back on Israel especially right now when she needs her allies the most. And so they were created, they were called, they were chosen, they were covered by him, and they were also cared by him. And they are still being cared by him. They are a little nation surrounded by massive uh, countries, massive enemies, but what those enemies forget is God says in verse 4, I have loved thee. I was just watching a a little bit about the Abraham Accord that was under the uh, Trump administration and Netanyahu got up and he showed on a map a scale of what happened because of that and how much now it's different over there in a good way you know I don't know what you think about Trump but he really got something through there that that I don't know of any other president that got through and there's actually they're, they're a little more at peace now from their surrounding areas because of that He's a God who is in love with them, cares deeply about them, and so should we. You know, we were only accepted by their rejection of their God, and I think we should be honoring God uh, for allowing us to come in. You know, we, we are now just as much God's family as they are, and we will all have uh, one day be living together with them in heaven, and as stubborn and rebellious as they have been at times, God says, I love them. And in stubborn and rebellious as we have been at that time, God says, I love you. So do you love them? That's the key. If I don't get anything else past that heart of yours into the mind that you need to love Israel because it shows God you love Him. So you cannot claim to love God and not love what He loves. And, and, and God loves Israel. He, he has not... Uh, he has not said that to any other nation on planet Earth, including us, by the way. But he loves them. And think about that one, or Selah, right? Think about that. Israel is his glory. It should be the glory of America stand by here and against all our enemies. Right to the day that Jesus comes. The first of the three things Satan has been desperately trying to eliminate is the, uh, the inalienable nation of Israel. Now, here's the second. I think you all know this one. It's the indefectible word of God. No other other nation's been attacked for her faith like Israel. No other book has been attacked for faith like the old King James Bible. God chose Israel to be the curator of his word and they failed at it. Israel was chosen by God to validate and propagate the oracles of God. Did you know that? I chose them It says right here in Romans 3:2, "For unto them were committed the oracles of God." Acts 7 and 38 through 39, this is He, Moses, that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spoke to him in Mount Sinai, and with our fathers, who received the lively oracles to give unto us. That's amazing. Israel failed at her commission to evangelize the world, and then God says, well, I'm going to give you the church of Jesus Christ and that's going to be lifted up and picked up where you left off and they're going to do that work and evangelize the world with the word of God. So that's why we get attacked so much too. You know, Satan is out to do as much damage as he can to the Bible as he does to the Troy of Israel because the Bible brings people to God through Jesus. That's what the Bible's all about. I love the holy word of God, don't you? You should. Uh, because you're going to have to defend it at some point in your life. You're going to have to. I want to, this is where you'll never be able to keep up with me, but I'm going to share this anyways. It should not come as a surprise to you that Satan is going to do everything he can to destroy the Word of God. And that's the Word of God you hold in your hands. So in order for him to get at it, he's got to get through you. Think about that. So far, Satan has done a good job at complicating the true words of God. He really has, so much so that Christians now bicker between themselves. But pastors, I hate it when pastors battle between each other, you know? This old King James Bible is my Bible. Nobody's going to convince me otherwise. But I've settled that. I don't need to fight for it, it fights for itself. You know, without apology and with complete confidence, I believe the King James is the preserved Word of God to the English speaking people. And I do not have to prove anything. It proves itself. It has proved itself. And I thank God that God won that battle in my heart years ago. Uh, I know there's some pastors that, are, that will challenge me on that. And I said, it's, you don't have to challenge me on that. It's like asking me to leave my wife. Ain't going to happen. And uh, I hold with confidence this word as totally infallible, without any error, totally immutable, unchangeable, totally inspired, God-breathed, totally inclusive. That means completely furnished and finished. Totally exclusive, which means there's no other book. Okay, Mormons, there's no other testament out there. And totally sufficient means it is the exhaustive power and purpose of God for every person's life. And I could go on to say this, without that Bible you have in here, your life will be self-centered. It'll be self-motivated. It'll be self-reliant, self-pleasing. No one will ever be fully satisfied or fully confident about anything without it. Because truth is a matter of perspective now, isn't it? It's changing all the time according to the world. But we have the truth. It never changes. The thoughts and intents of your heart will be uh, without discernment and divine direction without it. So if you want to make bad decisions, don't, just don't read your Bible. For the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing and sunder of soul and spirit, and the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Here's what the Bible says about the Bible. Have you ever thought about that? What does the Bible say about the Bible? Well, he says in Psalm 138, 2, For thou hast magnified thy word above thy name. The Bible says about the Bible that God holds the word above his very name. Way up here. Uh, the Bible says about the Bible that thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever, Psalm 119, one right? His word is true from the very beginning. From the very beginning, that's what the Bible says about the Bible. The Bible says about the Bible that the grass withers, the flower fadeth, but the word of God shall stand forever. The Bible says about the Bible that heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Right? Matthew 24, 35, by the way, Isaiah 48 was the one prior to that. His word is forever settled in heaven. That's what the Bible says about the, the Bible. Psalm 119, 89, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. It's, it, it endure forever. Did you know that? That the Bible says that about the Bible. right? First uh, 1 Peter 1.25 But the word of the Lord endureth forever and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. It also says, the Bible also says about the Bible that it won't come back void into anything that it enters into. You know, It says that in Isaiah 55.11 So shall my word be that goeth forth from my mouth it shall not return unto me void but it shall accomplish that which I please and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I send it. So just the fact that you're here today listening to it, that word of God is penetrating your heart. It's going in. It's not going to come back void. It may end up knocking you down a few steps <laughs> to get you to look up to him. And according to his word, his word sanctifies us. In John 17, 17, his word cleanses us. In John fifteen three. now you're clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. How about this one in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17? All scriptures given by inspiration of God is profitable for, reproof, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Now you've heard me say this a thousand times here and I'll continue to say it if I have to repeat it until my last day. Last day I, right, his word is profitable doctrine. That means it's going to always tell us what's right. It's, it's profitable for reproof. That means it's always going to tell us what's wrong. It is profitable for correction. That means it's going to tell us how to make right what is wrong. And it's also, it's profitable for instruction in righteousness. That's going to tell us how to keep it right once we get it right. So 2 Timothy 3.17, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And above all, right, his word was written to lead us to faith in Jesus Christ. It says, and Jesus said in John 5.39, search the scriptures, for in them ye have... You think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify in me. And then John said, these incredible words here, this, these incredible words, he says this, and many signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. So I cannot emphasize enough, right, I cannot emphasize enough even to these kids the importance of this book that you have in your hands. The Bible is the authoritative word of God. You, you change or alter the words, you're challenging his authority. You delete words and, or add words and God says he'll take you out of the book of life or he'll bring upon you some uh, plagues. You know, we... We used to read the Bible to change us. Now we just change the Bible. if It doesn't agree with us. Isn't that the truth? Boy, I should hear some amens there, right? Uh, Satan knows how powerful the Word of God is. Therefore, the more versions and the very varieties that uh, he can make, it's much more confusing to understand. puts m- m- many more people in-, in different camps trying to figure out how to figure out what it says. Ironically, there's only one Koran. Did you know that? and over 30 versions of the Bible. Many so-called friends of mine told me that I'm too, I'm too much of a stickler on this. Well, I'm going to tell you, to them, I say it has struck, stuck by me, and I'm sticking to it. So no one has the original Greek. Does everybody understand that? No one has the original Greek or the original Hebrew manuscripts. So that excuse of originality doesn't work with me. But God said he preserves his word to all generations. Amen? Amen? And they, they all can't be right. <laughs> There's got to be one of them out there that's right. So maybe that doesn't matter to you, but when God threatens us over the misuse of his word, I'm telling you something that makes me shake. And that's where one word he preserved I'm going to stick to, and I believe with all my heart is the old King James Bible. You know, again, Jesus says, Search the scriptures, for in them you do think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Do you know this? You know, Satan knows if the world takes that command seriously, he loses the battle in this life. And Jesus wins. All right. So that's the first two. The inalienable nation of Israel and the indefectible word of God. And lastly, and this is the important part for us this morning, is the invincible church of Jesus Christ. God said to Jeremiah concerning his nation. Do you remember when he said this in Jeremiah 1.19? And they shall fight against thee, but they shall not prevail against thee. Where have you heard that before? Ah, right in John or Matthew 16.18, right? When he told Peter, I say unto you also thee, Peter, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You see, the key word is prevail. The church is going to Prevail. And the rock was Jesus Christ. So many people don't realize that the church began as a result of Israel's rejection or their failure. And then, and then now we, we have picked up the mantle in the church with their Messiah. So we should be sad that, that Israel has rejected Jesus, but we should also be thankful that, that, that we have the opportunity to reach Israel more than Jesus could have ever done at that time because He's chosen us to share the truth with them. I've shared the truth with many uh, Jewish people. I've never led one to the Lord. I've never led one to the Lord. But uh, they're hard. But Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against them. Now I'm closing this out right now. Uh, it is the longevity and the survival of the church that makes our claim of salvation more credible to the Jew they are absolutely jealous over us they are we provoke them the jealousy because we're saying you know the God of your people he's our God and that angers them sometimes it really does it's like wait a minute no 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 we're the chosen people you're not the chosen people no we know that we know you're the chosen people because you've rejected Jesus Christ, though, then we are allowed in. We are branched in. But I say, did not Israel know? First Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people. Romans 10, 19. And by a foolish nation will I anger you? Romans eleven eleven. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid, but rather through their fall, salvation has come unto the Gentiles, for to provoke them to jealousy. We, we got in because they fell, but mostly because God loves them so much he wanted to use us to, get, to come at them and try to get them from a different perspective. But listen, if this church ever closes its doors here, it won't be because God abandoned it. It'll be because you abandoned it. That's the only reason it closes doors. He still wants the Jews saved. And if we abandon the church by neglecting our ties and service to it, we are abandoning the commission of God to not only save souls in this area, but to save Jews. We can't abandon Israel. If we do, we're neglecting, we do it by neglecting to pray for her. We do it by neglecting to protect her, by neglecting to provide for her. So Israel's greatest incitement, I should say, and their greatest incitement to jealousy is the church that survives right now simply by faith. They can't understand it. And, and what an indictment that is on us as the church. And what a blessing and honorable assignment we have as the church. So the church is not the building. I, you all understand it, right? It's not the people. It's the people, I mean. It's not the building. And it's only as strong as the obedience and faith of its people. So why does he want to build the church? just strengthens everything, doesn't it? It just strengthens everything. That's why we should be out there trying to get people in church, get them into the church but through faith in Jesus Christ. A true, a true church survives by obedient servants putting their faith into God's faithfulness and his promises. And churches are closing at an alarming rate right now. All across the world, they're abandoning the promises of God's commitment to Israel and his promise to the church. So we have, listen to me, been given the opportunity and a special privilege of a lifetime to show God to, to, their, to his own people. Amen? To the Jewish people. So we've got to care about them and their country and about the Christ who is their Messiah. So God will never remove his candlestick from a church that supports Israel and wins souls for Jesus Christ. Never. So we have been given this power, His presence and His promise. He just needs our prayers and participation. Right? Acts one eight says, "But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem." And that's what we're talking about today, and uh, and uh, in all Judea, Samaria, and unto the other most parts of the world. Uh, Earth, excuse me, and then Matthew 20, 28, 18 through 19, right? He said, "All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore then, and teach all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, my favorite part of this whole thing, I'm with you. I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. He never sends us into a battle; he doesn't go into it with us." So listen to me, as I close this thing, here's the battle cry. Is Jerusalem first? Because they're supposed to be first, and then everything in the world comes second. And we must take this mission mandate opportunity seriously. Amen? Amen. So I challenge you all this morning to be lovers of Israel. Ask God to give you that burden. Ask Him to put on your heart that love and compassion for them reach out to them through prayer and through your finances amen let's bow our heads and close for prayer you know we're not going to have a we're going to go to the plate here and, or to the lord's supper in just a second and uh, this isn't really a normal altar call but what is god calling you to do right now this is missions month where where is he calling you to go with your prayers and your provisions? When are you going to make missions your mission? Like the poster I have posted up here, Mission Me. Will missions be a priority to your life this year? Yeah, the first week in November, we're going to have a faith promise. and I'm praying that this will be the best faith promise we've ever had here at this church. That you'd understand the need is desperate right now. And we got people out there that are willing to go, they just gotta have the finances to get there. So with that said, I'm gonna go into the Lord's Supper here. Father, I just thank you for every remembrance as we just read, and Isaiah, every remembrance of you, all that you did pulling us through, getting us to the other side, unburned. Lord, I just thank you for these people, this church. Thank you for all that you're doing. And I pray, Lord, you'd lay a burden on our hearts this month with every man that comes here to speak and every family uh, that comes here with him, for every wife that is trying to support her husband in this field of souls, or for every child that is seeing the world and doesn't yet understand the purpose of why they're here. I just trust, Lord, that you'll do a great work and you'll begin by using us, and we'll just thank you and we hope that message was an encouragement to you to stay up to date with us please follow us on twitter and like us on facebook at lbc's connected if you would like more information on how heaven can be your home please visit lighthousebaptist.org the gospel